Hello, BookThinkers family, and welcome to our personal development podcast, BookThinkers Life-Changing Books. During each episode, we interview one of the world's top authors, and as a listener, you can expect to discover new books, new mentors, and new resources that you can use to achieve more and live better. Today's episode, we have the pleasure to interview for the second time Martin O'Toole, author of How to Die Happy. We talk about how to start doing the hard work of self growth, why letting go of attachment to things, places, relationships, etc. is important, answering big questions like what would life be like if you gave up everything, how self harm comes in many different forms, and minimalism. We also explore meaning and the purpose of life. And finally, we discuss plant medicines. And a brief disclaimer before listening to this episode. We want to emphasize that the discussion of psychedelics in this episode is intended solely for educational purposes. We do not endorse or advocate any of the activities or substances mentioned herein. If you are currently facing mental health challenges, or if you wish to explore these topics further, we strongly recommend conducting thorough research and consulting with a trained professional. It is crucial to prioritize your well-being and make informed decisions regarding your mental health. While we believe in the importance of open conversations about these subjects, it is essential to note that we are not experts in this field. Therefore, the information provided should not be taken as professional advice or encouragement for engaging in any illegal activities. We encourage our listeners to approach this episode with an open mind to seek further knowledge from reliable sources and to exercise caution when considering personal choices related to the discussed topics. Now, with that out of the way, get ready to learn and enjoy this incredible conversation with Martin O'Toole. Martin, welcome back to the Book Thinkers Life Changing Books podcast. This is your second time recording with us in two weeks or three weeks, which is a book thinker's record. So how are you feeling today? Uh, I'm stoked to be back. So thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm very, very pleased to uh, to catch up with you guys again. Really enjoyed our first conversation. Well, yeah, we won't... I... Oh, go ahead, Luke. I'm just so excited here. I can't keep my mouth shut. But um, I just <laughs> wanted to say really quickly, because I wanted to get this out before we get into all the topics from the book. I um, I'm almost finished with uh, Martin's book now. And I was just telling him before we hit record that it is the first book that I've actually been excited to stay up and read. I can't even tell you the last time that I was that excited to read a book. So awesome book. Go check it out, guys, because this book is so awesome. Like I literally could not put it down. And that's saying a lot because I've read hundreds of books and it's been a long time since I've done that. So really exciting book. So happy you're here, Martin. That's humbling. They are humbling words to hear. So thank you so much, Luke. I'm really glad it's resonated. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Thank you for writing it. <laughs> I'll add some background context. So we won't have you introduce yourself again, Martin, but for people who are just picking this episode up for the first time and they didn't get a chance to listen or see the last one, Martin is the author of How to Die Happy. And the subtitle is Curated Wisdom, Stories and Utilities for the Art of Living. And interestingly, our last episode covered mortality, death, dying for most of the episode, because these are subjects that we're fascinated by. But today we'd like to address uh, what you can do today to become happier. 
So let's start off with shadow work. That's a subject that we didn't get to talk much about last time. Luke brought it up before we pressed record, something that I read in the second half of the book. So what is shadow work, Martin? Great question. Well, yeah, I think I cover shadow work in chapter 20 of the book. Shadow works is the bit that a lot of people don't really want to do when it comes to personal development. And there's a really good reason for that. It's because it's it's quite unpleasant work, if, if I'm going to be brutally honest. And I am in the book. I, I'm very forthright about how um, painful it is. So so what is shadow work? Essentially, well, it, it's... It, it speaks to the uh, the Jungian concept of shadow self, this idea that we all have a dark side. Uh, and some of us are more familiar with that dark side than others. Some of us are more, um, what's the word, honest with ourselves about the existence of that shadow self than others. So the shadow work is the absolutely necessary stage of self-realization that we must 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 all drag ourselves through kicking and screaming if we hope to to know sustainable happiness and it takes many many shapes and forms but ultimately it requires self-inquiry on a level that that many people will find very uncomfortable because ultimately you have to find a, a very quiet place uh, and some space and time to do so and you have to run through an inventory of life events, things you said, thought, did, um, and and really sit in the searing pain of those memories that you've suppressed or repressed. So I'm I'm probably not selling it. <laughs> searing pain. That's what you got to do. Go through the searing pain, man. White, hot, searing pain. Yeah, I mean, I think I refer to skin peeling flames at some point in the book. You know, I get pretty graphic with it. Um, not to not to be melodramatic, you understand, just to really hammer home the point. Guys, if you're not going to do your shadow work, I think I even say this, if you're not going to do the shadow work, then don't even bother. You know, I think almost just close the book. Um, I obviously don't. I'm not willingly uh, inviting people to close my book. But what I am saying is we live in the age of the hack. And we talked about this in our last chat. And there are certain things you cannot hack. And everlasting happiness certainly is one of those things. So uh, if you want it to work, you do the work. And uh, the shadow work is where it begins. Can you give us an example of a before and after shadow work? Uh, just just like a piece of context. So person A is experiencing X, Y, Z. They go through the shadow work process. What's that look like? And then what does person A look like after the shadow work? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, one obvious example would be the 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 methodology of, of reevaluating a situation, an event, let's say, that involved you and another person. I don't know, let's say it's it's me and my first ex-wife, for example. And instead of dismissing those memories, uh, oh yeah, that was her, or we were chill, we were young, or you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I actually I, I I recall one of those events, and I, I recall an event that was likely traumatic for me or for her or for both of us. And then the the job is to is to try and put myself in her 
shoes so that I can see her perspective of the event. It doesn't, it doesn't, ha- this doesn't, this stuff isn't like a boom, right? That's one memory done. Boom, that's two memories done. No way. You know, you've, you've got to do some serious work with this. And, and meditation is, is, a, is a fantastic practice to use. Ultimately, what you want to be seeing is, is a change in perspective. And in that change in perspective, our, our body often, because our, our body keeps the score, right? Fantastic book, if, you, if you're not familiar with it. Check that out. Um, but we, we hold on to our memories. So we hold on to our trauma. Um, and through doing this process, one of the wonderful side effects or byproducts, I should say, is a lightening and often actually a removal of of disease, as as crazy as that may sound. So, so there are many, many benefits to it. But ultimately, you you see the those person's perspective. Um, you finally put your ego to the side. You stepped out of the way so that you could fundamentally see what you did. Ultimately, it comes down to owning your bullshit. And I talk about this in the book, you know, really, really, there's no two ways about it. You've got to own your bullshit. And when you own your bullshit, it's not about providing mitigation to self. It's about just owning it. And and this is really, it plays into actually the 12 steps um, uh, and the idea of making amends. Now, obviously, shadow work doesn't necessarily require you to to go off and and contact people from your past, although I do actively encourage it, and and I, I men- make mention of this in the book. So it's it's fundamental, but it's life changing because for the first time ever, speaking back to your question, Nick, you are standing na- metaphorically naked in a mirror what and all and you are accepting yourself for who you have been and in doing so truly accepting who you have been you can then accept who you are and who you want to be and and there's there's a beautiful alchemical process there of of rebirth i would love uh for you if you don't mind maybe tell us a little bit about your personal journey with shadow work like maybe how you i love the coconut by the way for those listening he's got this this amazing it's a coconut right i am right about that he's Bali got this life. amazing i love it this coconut drink that is just i get the make i get coconut delivered <laughs> <laughs> beautiful um anyway back, back to my question if you wouldn't mind like maybe backing up a little bit and just talking about your personal experience with um shadow work like how did you find this concept and then what are some of the things that you did personally to get to the point where you were accepting of yourself and your your shadow self? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, well, how I found it originally was actually in, in recent, <clears throat> excuse me, in researching um, Carl Jung. So I was looking at, uh, I, I, I happened upon Carl Jung's work quite early on um, in my if you like spiritual awakening peace i'd already done uh, i'd already done psychotherapy uh, very successfully and we we talked about a few different um we talked about a few different aspects of uh, of how my psychology was affecting my behavior we didn't get on to young but i think we might have discussed uh, the concept of individuation which is another jungian concept uh, so i that's how i happened upon it and then i started to read about the shadow self and i thought Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I've definitely got some work to do with that. And, and I realized that I'd been putting it off for my whole life. I mean, you know, <laughs> and this is a real, it's a strange realization for somebody to have in their early forties, right? 
you know, I've not actually done any of this work. I've just, it was never me. I was never the common denominator in any of those, in any of those situations. It was always them. And then of course that realization, actually it was you, Martin, it was always you. So I, I went through that process. Uh, I was fortunate enough to do it alone. So I, I lived quite a monastic life when I moved to Bali. And, uh, and I, I chose to, to, to do an awful lot of meditation work, sit in silence. Um, actually, I, I, in, the, in the book, I do actually list a little shadow work starter for 10. If I may, I'll, <clears throat> I'll read it for you, for the readers. Yeah, please do. One, sit with your darkness. Feel the pain until it transmutes. Two, master your emotional responses so you are no longer easily triggered. Three, free from shame or judgment, acknowledge your negative behavioral emotions. Four, free from guilt or judgment, recognize your negative behavioral traits. Five, master assertiveness minus rudeness. Six, learn to appreciate others' truths. Seven, observe and accept yourself. Laugh at yourself. Eight, observe and avoid passive aggression. Nine, arm wrestle adversity. Seek out and analyze the lessons. 10, see yourself in others and others in you, thus minimizing your predilection for judgment. So that's kind of like, uh, I call it the, the shadow work starter for 10, but it, hopefully it, it expands a little bit on what, I, what I'm talking about. There is um, uh, an idea that uh, psychiatrist Wellwood, Buddhist psychiatrist called Wellwood um, created, created, conceived, which is spiritual bypassing. And we might have touched on this in our last conversation. I can't remember. But the idea is that we keen to distract ourselves as we are and this is the very this is at the very core of this book that we have so many distractions available to us healthy and unhealthy arguably many of them are unhealthy or at least if we are seeking to hide from ourselves we can develop an unhealthy relationship with anything and some people would refer to that as addiction um, which as far as I'm concerned and, and many other uh, people in, in the addiction field are, uh, sorry, I share the same idea as many people in the addiction field. And, and that is that addiction is merely symptomatic of something else. We are running away from our, from the root cause of it. We're running away from trauma. So spiritual bypassing is another example of doing that. Okay, I got some work to do, but I'm not actually going to do it in the way I, I probably ought to do it. I'm going to dive into becoming a, a yoga teacher or, or doing yoga, practicing yoga every day or meditating every day or sound healing or whatever the, whatever the modality. And the point is, if we're not careful, we shoot straight past the, the, the shadow work, straight past the darkness. Um, and the dark aspect of self. And ultimately, then we've still got that work to do that the shadow will follow you around until such time as you turn around, acknowledge it, give it a hug, have a, a firm word with it, and then explain the new rules of engagement. Maybe Luke and I can each tell you a little bit about our experiences with shadow work. I would love when to I hear it. When I was in my late teens, early 20s, I had an ego problem. I think everybody has an ego problem, but I had a really big ego problem that represented itself at the expense of virtually everybody around me. And I didn't intentionally go through shadow work, but I read a lot of books on ego. 
and meditation. And a combination of those two things helped me brick by brick deconstruct the ego temple that I built. And um, I was in those meditation sessions, especially meditation sessions uh, like sensory deprivation, float tank sessions and stuff like that. I was able to go relive those experiences, put myself in other people's shoes because I was actively trying to become more empathetic as well as a skill set, as a developed skill set. And uh, yeah, that was my kind of ego death phase, if you will. And I confronted the shadow constantly. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so much, I'm so happy that I was, that I went through that process. And I just wanted to share that with the book thinkers family as another example of what that might look like for somebody. Yeah, that's a good share. Yeah, well, I wish, um, I don't know, I could say something as profound as that. But I feel like I'm still in the <laughs> stage of of doing the work, doing the shadow work still sitting with it. It's even like reading off that list, you know, um, one of them was uh, free of free yourself of judgment and shame. And that one is that one's like the real struggle for me that one I I, I tend to judge myself very, very, very harshly. And uh, that's the one I just I I still struggle with to this day that I'm I'm actively working on. Um, And it's so interesting, too, because not to talk about myself too much, but it's so interesting, too, because two people can have such different experiences. Like for me personally, my experience is always that I was and it seems I don't want to sound arrogant saying this, but almost like too empathetic. Like I worried about others so much that I just myself didn't matter at all. And I still struggle with that a bit. But. I am so much better than I was years ago. And I've done a lot of different things. I've done the meditation. I've also done, which I've never said this publicly before. So this is a little nerve wracking, but I've also done some psychedelics and maybe we can talk about that. I don't know how I feel about it, but I've also, (laughs) I've also done some psychedelics and uh, that helped me immensely and changed my perspective in a lot of ways. And I think that people, you know, tend to, we, we do, we want to shy away from all the, all the, in the work that we need to do that's inside are just our own minds and our own head. And we need to get ourselves out of it. And uh, doing the things like meditation and psychedelics has helped me get closer to that point that I'm way farther out of it than I was. So mm. I think that's, that's a vulnerable share. So I appreciate that. You know, it's, <clears throat> when, when, when you, when you really dive into the into the essence of this and what I'm talking about in this book, ultimately what we're talking about is love. And, and the first thing we're talking about is, is self-love. And, and that whole self-love experience takes on a different sh- size and shape and color and, you know, for, for, every, for every one of us, because of course it, it very much depends how little we loved ourselves before we begin to, to put this, this under a microscope. The me, as you've as you've read in the book, there was not a lot of self love going on in my in my in the Martin story. It was uh, more about self harm and very very um, focused self harm. And of course, within that came a lot of judgment, lots of self judgment and shame and misery to the to a point of 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 almost suicide. So I, I can completely relate. And 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 the the, the self judgment aspect of this process is perfectly normal. I talk about judgment a lot in the book, and I talk about uh, I'm constantly reminding readers when you're when you're undergoing this process, always remember just to take that extra pause and ask yourself, am I being kind to myself in this process as well? 
because it, otherwise we're not if we're not careful we can because i i use words like process right you know i've i've mapped out the anatomy of happy so if we're not careful the the self help um readers out there who are who are all about personal development and you know god love them for that may well begin with some milestones here right okay i'm going to finish the self realization stage by x and the self love phase by that no no don't do that take it easy take it easy on yourself I was, you might've heard me flipping through the pages here, Martin. I was, uh, I was looking for a quote that I highlighted on self-harm because as you highlight in the book, I can't find it. So I'll just try to recall it. As you highlight in the book, you say a lot of people default to cutting themselves with a razor when they think about self-harm, but an attachment to things around you, an unhealthy relationship to food, consumerism, these are all forms of self-harm that we don't really consider to be self-harm. Absolutely. And you, you pretty much paraphrased it well, so well remembered. Yeah, self-harm comes in all shapes and sizes, and it's, uh, and it's very, very well disguised. And so as I, as I like, to, like, like to discuss, there are so many ways in which we are hurting ourselves without thinking about it. Hence, hence there's a book about it, right? Because it, it, it's, not, it's not something you can just write, write on a one-pager. <clears throat> Excuse me. Luke's talking about judgment, self-judgment. Yeah, that's that's a, if we're not careful, a form of self-harm. Um, you're also talking, Luke, of of giving too much to people. So that's the idea of that's that, then we're in the territory of boundaries. Uh, what's a healthy boundary? What's an unhealthy boundary? And there is a chapter in in the book called "The Beauty of Boundaries." I think it's like a page and a half. It's it's pretty brutal in its in its advice. But ultimately, what I'm saying is. You, one of the things we must do is, uh, is is an audit of everything, right? And an audit of our of 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 um of our relationship with ourselves, our, of our relationship with with stuff, um, and that includes food, drink, music, TV, people, the places we're going, you know, all of those things that are around us, the the, the things that we are consuming directly and indirectly, and our relationship with with friends, family, coworkers. Because actually, more often than not, we don't realize we, although we do, but we don't we don't choose to acknowledge it. And I'll 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 throw this out to the audience: Is there someone in your life that, whenever you spend time with them, as you walk away or shortly after they've gone, you feel drained and exhausted? And 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 it's a it's a it's a potent question because whenever I ask people that, most of them sort of sit quietly, do a quick audit, and go. Yeah, there is actually. And often it's a best friend or it's a parent or it's <laughs> sometimes it's a partner, you know. Uh, so the, and then the question is, well, why do you feel that way? And, and, and more often than not, then we're in the territory of boundaries. We're discussing how you're, you're giving far too much of yourself away to these people. And either consciously or unconsciously, they are, they are taking part in, in what we call energetic vampirism. They're, you know, they've got a a metaphorical straw plugged into your uh, aura and they're slurping away. And uh, so, so there's a lot of that discussion as well to, to, to cover when we talk about self-harm and, and protection. Did you have something to say, Nick? Well, I was going to say, let's, right. uh, let's say that hypothetically I have somebody in my life or Luke has somebody in his life where every time we go down that bridge, we come back and we're beat up and we're battered and it's not a healthy journey. Uh, what do you do? 
How do you fix those relationships? Do you end them? Do you burn the bridge? What's that look like from your perspective? Great question. The reality is it's a combination. So there are a couple of tools I, I discuss in the book. One's Burns Transactional Analysis, and the other is Cartman's Drama Triangle. Fantastic psychoanalytical tools to help us observe um, and audit and observe and audit our relationships and our and our what Burn calls transactions with other people. Ultimately, what we're trying to do using those two models is rebalance our interactions with people to um, a sensible adult to adult uh, transaction, if you like. If uh, in the instance, for example, um, as you say, someone's draining you, perhaps you are constantly dragged into a drama triangle by them where they are talking about their woeful life all of the time and inviting you to a pity party, uh, albeit involuntarily, you have to ask yourself how much time and effort you are putting into that relationship with someone. Giving helpful advice, offering empathy, of course, uh, and how often they actually do anything about it. Or is it the case that actually there's a constant reset? Every time we go back to this person, it's the same old story. Even though we've been giving and giving and giving and offering um, this, that, and the other to try and help them fix this thing. Some people just don't want to be helped, right? So as Cartman defines that that dynamic, they're assuming the victim role. We've hopped in as a rescuer. And now we're in this washing machine. It's a triangular-shaped washing machine. And what always happens is the dynamic will eventually shift. So while you hop in as a rescuer, at some point, you will flip to the role of victim and they become the third uh, personality, which is the persecutor. So suddenly we went into help and now we're the ones getting a, a beating. Sound familiar? It should do because we've, we've all got dynamics like that with people. So the advice uh, is really simple. In Identify it. Put, first of all, pull yourself out of it. Dust yourself off. Have a breath. You know, Give yourself that, that love, whatever is required to, to, to level up and to, to, sorry, to power up before you then reapproach them and invite them to cease that dynamic and start having what uh, what burn would call adult to adult conversations now they're going to do one of two things they're either they're going to say fuck you uh, or they're going to say wow I, I had no idea i was i was doing that in which case amazing actually we've just provided someone a, a personal development service they've got so they've got some feedback to take on board my experience <laughs> That's the original question. People who are unaware of their toxic behavior are unaware and likely remain unaware until such time as they have their own shadow work moment. They have their own rock bottom moment. Something happens to them that that, that forces them to change. Unfortunately, and I, I'm speaking from personal experience as well. I was one of those people. People tried to give me feedback all the time and I didn't want it. And as far as I was concerned, there was something wrong with everyone else, not me. So I lost many, many, many friends and, and uh, along the way. Uh, but ultimately, it's what we have to do. We have to ask ourselves, is this a healthy dynamic? I've tried. What else can I do? If they refuse to be helped, actually, I've got to, I've got to cut ties. So I'm pretty pragmatic about this in life and in, in the book. There are, there are all sorts of hints and tips about I call it pruning, uh, and as as, as uh, logical as it, overly logical as it may sound, it served me very well. 
Wow. That was a great representation of why your book is so amazing. I think every, I think Luke, we have to try to f- make every podcast like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'll I'll pass the baton. I just wanted to reflect that I've also been the one receiving advice and and not willing to accept it. And then once I once I sort of took the blinders off and I became aware of my behavior, I offered a lot of advice to friends and family in my early 20s that didn't go so well. Uh <laughs> only to have some of those people come tap me on the shoulder years later and say, "Hey, I get what you were trying to do." Uh, so I've also played on both sides of that spectrum and I'll continue to play on both sides of that spectrum. I mean, you're Martin, you're kind of tapping me on the shoulder right now with a number of these subjects and saying, Hey, wake up buddy. So there's a, <laughs> well, inadvertently, <laughs> inadvertently, but uh, in a very healthy way, thankfully I love constructive feedback and passive mentorship, but I'm hogging it up. So Luke, I'll, you have so many great questions too. I want to make sure I stop talking. No, no, it's, it's all good. I feel like I'm getting a nice um, personal coaching session here. And I think everyone that listens to this will feel exactly the same way. And like you just said, the proverbial tap on the shoulder, like, Hey, wake up, look at what you're doing. Um, I want to, you touched on so much and there's so many things I want to unpack, but selfishly, I want to unpack, um, there's a chapter and I forget where it was in the book, but it was called two bags and a beagle. And you discuss like change and letting go of things. And I'm actually just personally in this point in my life where we, my family, myself, we're trying to let go of a lot of stuff and, it's wild. It's wild how difficult it is. I'm, I consider myself kind of, uh, I'm a little bit of a minimalist. I don't have a lot of things like my family, not so much as a whole, but we're trying to get there, but it is so difficult. So do you have, maybe you can expand on that chapter a little bit and talk about change and letting things go because you, you did the work and you did it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I'm just going to try and find the, the, the guy's name so I can remember. Yeah. So well, for me, it was uh, it was an interesting position where I forced myself into minimalism. So, mm-hmm. not to not to talk too much about my past backstory because it's all in there. But um, yeah. I, I once had a lot of stuff, uh, and I was driving in Aston Martins and you know living in in incredible uh, properties and and having these awesome travels around the world to 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 next level places. Um, and uh, with all that said, I was utterly miserable. So I went from from that kind of lifestyle to to then fast forwarding to short, not too long after I'd done my first ayahuasca uh, ceremony, which is a psychedelic plant medicine for those of you who uh, who are not familiar, a very potent one. And um, I had to I had to leave London and, and move to Bali, and I decided I was going to take my beagle. And the the beagle saved my life, so there was no way I was going to leave the beagle in London after after what that sh- after the shit that dog went through and and what she did for me. So, um, and I I got to the I, so I sold and gave away everything I owned. And ultimately, I wound up with two bags and a beagle in in a white room. It, there was something very poetic about it because the floors were white and the walls were white. It was all bright white, and there was just us in the middle. And and when I moved to Bali, uh, I'd already managed to chop up my credit cards and um, and never borrow any money again a few years before. So I, I decided if I can't afford it, I'm not having it. And that's right there is a that's a utility. It's a practical utility. It's a difficult utility for sure, because, of course, 
all of this stuff is driving past us and walking past us and advertising at us. And um, we are constantly invited to consume, yet we can afford not a lot of it, or rather the average person can't afford most of it, I think is probably the more, the more appropriate thing to say. I'm straying into the other uh, chapter about the illusion of debt. So uh, having told myself I can't afford it, then I'm not going to buy it then I, I'd already given myself uh, some, some really tight criteria. And then when I got to Bali, uh, I rented a place and it was already furnished. And this is the first time I'd rented a place with furniture for years. You know, I'd always owned my own furniture and it was always expensive Italian or Scandinavian furniture. And was it the furniture I wanted to choose? No, but was it functional? Yes. Okay, this is working. So I, I managed to keep everything to this, to this low level. And, and still do to this day. And, and through that process, I came across these chaps called uh, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus, who are the, 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 the quite famous, I think now, the, the minimalists. And they have a, a Netflix documentary and a podcast and a whole host of content that goes alongside it. And I, I, I recommend in the book that, and, and right here and now that everybody check them out because the, the idea of minimalism is, for me, actually, actually an accidental spiritual movement you know because it actually it it talks to it speaks to to aspects of zen and it speaks to of course feng shui which is a very very ancient um practice uh to do with minimalism and minimal minimalistic layout of of things to allow the uh the the, the through flow of chi so, yeah, sorry, I rambled on there a little bit. But um, when, when I discovered and, and began practicing minimalism, the, a miracle occurred. It was one of these other sort of light bulb moments where I realized I was cutting energetic ties left, right and center. Um, and every time I cut one, I felt lighter, lighter, lighter again. It's like removing these anchors. Did that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. You're 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 speaking very deeply to me right now because I'm just like I said, I'm just in this this transitional period of my life and our family is and um we've just been going through a bunch of our our stuff and like getting rid of stuff and I, I you described that perfectly like it just you just feel you feel lighter. There isn't there's um even been a part of me that like I was like oh we should sell some of this stuff and try to get you know x amount of dollars for it but even that I realized was just me trying to, because none of it's worth that much, like just hold on to it. Like I was just like, it's another thing, just another barrier that I'm putting in place to get rid of this thing. And I'm like, I just need to get rid of it. I just need to get rid of it. Just need to get rid of it. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. yeah and, it, and this, this, this speaks to something significantly deeper, which we go into in the book, which we go into the book, like <laughs> me and some other people wrote it. It was just me and Martin version 1.0. So I suppose that's... it was weak, but uh, yeah. And, and this is, this is attachment. Well, we, I think we talked about this already, but um, yeah. the, the, the Buddha describes attachment as the root of all suffering. So we we cling on to all of these things, even possessions, because we feel as though they, they create our identity. I have a Panerai watch. Therefore, that says something about my identity. I drive a, a Range Rover. That tells people something about my story. And I like what it tells them about my story. I, I feel that reflection. And that, therefore, I'm telling myself more things about who I am. But am I actually that Panerai watch? Am I the guy? Am I? A, uh, what is a person who wears a Panerai watch? What has that actually got to do with, with life and love? 
absolutely nothing. And, and the same can be said for all our possessions. So ultimately, if we want to, to do this work to understand sustainable happiness, actually, we have to ask ourselves, what would life be like without all of those things? What would life be like without the Panerai watch, the, the Range Rover, um, the dog, the house, my leg, you know, uh, my wife, my husband? These are the, the, the tough questions that we have to ask ourselves. Are we still, do we still have a, a, a core of understanding and truth about who we really are and who we are capable of being when we take away all of the, the other facets of ourselves that aren't actually us? And that's that's big work. Make no mistake about it. Yeah, that's um, it's such a scary thought. It's such a scary thought for so many people because, like you said, you know, we put our identity in these things, like the Range Rover, the watches, the houses, all this stuff, like work, even like I mean, we we put our identity yeah. into it, and uh, trying to do the work to let those things go is just a it's a difficult path, but I believe it's a very worth it one, and yes. um something I'm, I don't have a specific question about this, but purpose is something that you talk about in, in the book. And I think purpose is one of those things that so many people get, I don't know, a little freaked out about, and they feel like they need this, they need this one big purpose in their life and that's it. And I love what you have to say about purpose. I, if you could just riff on that a little bit, I think that would be, that'd be advantageous for our listeners yeah, and myself. Would... <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, well, purpose for me was, Hello, Bookmakers family. A quick word from today's podcast sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, business, and my favorite, personal development. And as part of Audible's partnership with us, we're actually offering listeners a free 30-day trial. This trial includes one credit, good for any premium selection titles you'd like on the whole platform. So that's pretty much any book, including the one we're talking about today. That book is yours to keep even after the trial is over. Now, this trial also includes access to Audible's Plus catalog of podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness programs, and Audible originals. You can listen all you want, no credits needed. Now, everyone on the Bookthinkers Instagram knows that I love physical paper books. There's nothing better than having a book in your hand, scribbling notes everywhere in the margins. I kind of tear those things up. But I've been completing an additional 20 to 30 books every single year using Audible by listening when I'm in the car, doing chores around the house, or while I'm on my morning walks or runs. You could take advantage of this free trial by clicking the link in today's show notes or going to www.bookthinkers.com slash audible trial. You will not regret it. Now, back to today's episode. I was uh, very early on, I decided I was going to be rich. I was going to be a successful businessman. Um, I came from uh, very modest means. My mom was a, a teacher. My dad, my dad sold um, toilet seats and, and plumbing stuff to plumbers merchants and he traveled all around the uk in a in a car the man worked his, his himself to death he's not dead incidentally um but happy to have that conversation with a book called how to die happy um so we my brothers and i all wanted something better i think it's safe to say so i i, I was on that course from early on and it was all about what is my purpose i'm gonna i'm gonna build a business i'm gonna make two million uh, pounds um, and then I'm going to retire when I went in, in my thirties or early forties, I think I said something like that. <clears throat> and then I'm going to 
then I'm going to what? <laughs> because the reality is actually in this day and age with 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 this this these ideas presented to us that th this is all life is not to get too meta on it but um then we can find ourselves on the hamster wheel laser focused to 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 follow get to achieve all of these milestones but ultimately what is it about that, that's the question i'm asking uh, and that's the question i found found myself asking is it about possessions is it about having a property here or a property there or is it being able to retire what is, what is retirement actually you know, what is this idea that we have to work until we're 60, 70, and then we're allowed a, a bit of time off before we croak? Absolutely. The, the whole system, the whole the whole model is absolutely insane. And thankfully, it is breaking um, slowly but surely. But so for me, I I thought you can you can only really have one or two purposes. Um, and of course, when I didn't achieve them, I became very upset with myself and the world. Uh, and that continued to happen, you know, through my life, going through, going after, going after milestone after milestone. And I, I was successful in business, but because I was such a broken humanoid, uh, I managed to uh, to cause all sorts of problems with my with all my commercial partnerships as well. So I ended up leaving uh, successful businesses at the wrong time with you know, without without the right stakes and and usually throwing a metaphorical hand grenade over my shoulder as well. Uh, just to ensure that nobody followed me out the door. So I, I I struggled with purpose for a long, long, long time. And actually, here I am now, 47 years old, having had this roller coaster of a life and had all the stuff and been to the places and had the companies and yada, yada. And then and had it and lost it, incidentally, had it and lost it or or lost it in a different way, not necessarily through commercial catastrophe, more a case of personal uh, misuse. Um, I, and here I am now understanding that purpose isn't any of those things. <laughs> um, actually, my newfound purpose, if you like, which I talk about in the book, is is to be able to, to, to turn around to the rest of the world and say, hey, I, for what it's worth, probably don't do a lot of the stuff I did. <laughs> well, I mean, do it, but refine this, tweak that, you know, consider this, throw pepper it with a bit of mindfulness and self-love and, you know, and all of the thing, all the good things in the, in the anatomy of happy. But um, along the way, I, I realized actually my purpose uh, had to be completely redefined, but ultimately whatever we do define as our purpose if it doesn't come off, we also have to remember that 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 is as impermanent as everything else in the world. So if we're not careful, we cling to our purpose like this, this next thing. It's another distraction then, isn't it? If we're not careful, I'm not saying I'm not saying everybody does this. Um, but amidst that, I discovered the Japanese Ikigai model. And the Ikigai model is a fantastic, actually really simple concept actually almost too simple um that that it asks you to or invites you to evaluate what you're good at what you love um what the world needs more of and, and, and for what you can be paid and it's it's kind of like a converging venn thing isn't it and uh, there's a there's a diagram of it in in my book and you might find one no you won't find one on the website but there's one in the book 
you can find you can find ikigai anywhere there's some great books about ikigai um but i i, I think that's probably a, a useful thing for people to consider with purpose if you are questioning your purpose and i think so many of us are right now i think i think a lot of people in the world are having these incredible <clears throat> excuse me conversations about who am i who really am i and and how and and how does that realization align with what i do for a living or and, and the goals that i've set for myself and, and i and i believe more often than not when people have this internal conversation they realize they are not aligned so then there's a big old question about purpose um and it's it's a scary one isn't it uh, so my only i think my fundamental piece of advice for anyone doing that work is do the work follow the ikigai model you know get busy with all of that and ultimately remember the word work because we do yeah. still have to do that uh, <laughs> that's the well, thing oh but go ahead well i was just going to say but don't be surprised or disappointed if it doesn't go the way you want it to go you know because you're still here you still got breath in your lungs you still got love in your heart uh and 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 you are at least you're analyzing these things so you can redefine you can reposition and i think that's the beautiful thing about this life sorry what are you going to say nick oh i was, I was going to say chapter 18 you titled it or maybe you, it was a question, was The Matrix a documentary or something like that? And yeah, yeah, I think right now, 2023, there's a lot of content, especially in my feed. So that shows you what's what's being curated for me about breaking out of The Matrix. And that's how my journey in this world of personal development started. I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. He says reality is negotiable. You don't have to play by society's rules. You can make up your own. I started to make up my own. They worked. It was more fulfilling. And so it plays into that icky guy model. And mm -hmm. also Luke's journey uh, with book thinkers started, well, I'll let him tell a, a couple of different stories. But the one that I wanted to sum up, we had a conversation once when he was evaluating whether or not to stay in his past position, where he said, you know what, there are a lot of different currencies in life. There's financial currency, and I'm making a lot of that one right now, but there's also culture currency. There's day-to-day -day happiness currency, and I'm lacking some of those things right now. And book thinkers might be a better place for me to, to play in that world. And I might get paid better in those currencies with you. So maybe I'll try that. And nice. uh, yeah, so it just reminds me of the purpose uh, subject that you were talking about. That was my little ramble for the day yeah. uh, or my fifth yeah. ramble for the day. <laughs> Well, I, I'm with you. So tell me, tell me if I'm rambling as well. But I, 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 that's a beautiful observation, though, because then you're having you, you're having conversations with yourself about what what matters, you know, what what really does matter in life. Because I, I talk about the the uh, top ten deathbed regrets or anecdotal top ten deathbed regrets in the book, <clears throat> and uh, and I and I think that. When you when you look at some of these things that people are saying in the in the latter stages of life, I, I I wish I hadn't spent so much time at work, and I wish I'd done this, and I wish I'd done that. It's it's so heartbreaking because you can see how people have been focused on all of these. I, I don't want to use the word wrong because there's no wrong or right here, is there? But these things that ultimately they realized in the end never mattered. And and we all we're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this as well. Obviously, I'm conscious when I have these conversations and, and I write this book. And I, I've, I I'm guilty of all of this stuff. So there is no judgment here. The fundamental point is um, that we can 
if we if we exercise and engage a little bit more awareness we can maybe not do this as much and then we can focus some of that time attention and energy on something that really does mean um th that does have more of an intrinsic value for example meditation <laughs> that might sound crazy but you know like i worked my i worked myself to the bone for years and years and years and years and I would, I would be the first one in, the last one out. And as we all are, as founders and entrepreneurs, this, this is just standard stuff, isn't it? Nobody ever told me, actually, if you just stop for half an hour and, and just meditate, wow, what a gift you are giving to yourself. And I mean, it is. It's an absolute gift. It's, I love meditating. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm excited about meditating because it's, um, I'm stepping into a ritual of, of self-care and self-love um i can't remember there's a the the somebody asked the buddha once what um what he got out of meditating i, I can't I, I, he essentially lists all of these incredible benefits to do with mindfulness and good health and then you know drops the mic yeah. um, but at no point did i i ever realize that actually such a such uh self-love and mindfulness could be so enriching for us Yet it's, you know, you can't hang it on the wall and you can't wear it on your wrist and you can't drive it up the street. Anyway, I'm rambling yeah. again. Nick. <laughs> I love the rambles. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, we're learning a lot. So I, I appreciate it for sure. And, you know, you mentioned the things like meditation. Nick was mentioning my story a little bit. And I just, I've seen so many people in my life, like work so hard, work to the, like, just like you said, to the bone every single day, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. Some people have some things to show for it, like Ferraris and big houses and others have nothing to show for it. Like they don't have the big house because they mismanaged their money or whatever, whatever happened, transpired in their life that they don't have anything. But both of these people are in the same place, like ment mentally and spiritually, they're mm. just lost and broken. And yeah. I noticed that like, just in my journey, it was the, the same thing. I'm like, what am I, what am I doing here? Like, what am I doing at this job? I'm not, I'm not having an impact on anybody. I'm not very happy. And since starting with book thinkers, I've, I've, I have more free time with my family. I can travel a little bit more like it. There's, I'm doing a lot more that fulfills me and I can actually get up and spend 15 minutes meditating. So I'm not like rushing up and having to do the, do all this stuff. I can actually sit down and meditate and meditate. And yeah, I, I, I love, um, and I'm forgetting what the Buddha says about it, about meditation too, but there are a lot of benefits. And like one of the biggest ones is that you can sit back and, and just kind of observe your thoughts and emotions and feelings without having this visceral reaction to them right away. And that was like one of the big benefits that I noticed early on, even in meditation, it was just like, oh, wow, I don't have to react to this emotion. I don't have to react to this depressed feeling. I don't have to react to this anxiety. I can still continue on. So for anybody that's on the fence of, on, on meditating, it's it's hugely beneficial in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Man, I cannot believe I'm looking at the time. We're, we're almost at an hour here. I'm like, I was like, oh, maybe it's been 20 minutes and I just look at the time. Oh, shoot. So um, I don't have a hard stop today, by the way, Luke. Okay. I don't know if you do. I, I don't know. I can I could go all night, which is a little dangerous. Um, <laughs> well, it's six in the morning for me. So I'm, yeah, I'm, oh, I got the Martin whole day literally has all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah I, it's um where were we so we're talking about meditation the gift the, the don't get me wrong there's, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with with wanting 
um, to have nice stuff. Mm-hmm. Something I, I'm keen to point out in the because uh, in the book I, I do I probably get a little bit dangerously close to a rant, um, but but fundamentally just because all I'm trying to say is look, there are so many choices that you can make in life uh, to change your life's direction. And some of us are fortunate enough to have the money to do that. Um, And some of us started with nothing and earned that money. So we might not take it for granted. Although in my experience, it tends to be once you have a lot of money and you live that kind of lifestyle, you very quickly forget um, the, the opposing reality of not having any. So, but if we're not, if, if, if we're not conscious of the fact that uh, the more money we have, the more milestones we're setting, the more we are just going out to consume more and more, then we're lost. We're lost on a in a dream spell, and and this whole this whole existence, the Matrix, is a dream spell, depending on your perspective and. Uh, and and perhaps one for another podcast conversation. It's a simulation, and uh, so we have to ask ourselves, what do we want to do while we're here? And th- and this is really why why I'm I'm talking about that big question: Who am I? Because I I am not uh, Martin O'Toole, uh, author and podcaster. I am not Martin O'Toole, uh, recovered addict and alcoholic. Uh, I'm not this guy who lives in Bali. The, the, we, we've got to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, in digging deeper, of course, the more inward we go, the less focused we are on, on anything material. That's the point. It's that, that uh, quote from Rumi about roots and branches and roots. So, yeah, I'm certainly not, uh, I'm not put, putting down the idea of, of liking nice stuff, but I am uh, I'm saying be mindful of your wasteful approach to it. And mm. to consumption i think that's the fundamental point yeah i love that nick sorry yeah just now take, i'm hogging take there. the red <laughs> pill everybody take the red pill yeah. i i think we should spend the next however long it goes 15 20 30 minutes uh and wrap up the podcast with the subject of plant medicine you only introduce us to your thoughts on plant medicine in the book but it's going to be a big subject of your next book it is the next book that you're writing. So let's talk a little bit about plant medicine. And I guess my introductory question is, why do you think politicians should have 10 ayahuasca sessions before they're allowed to take office and represent people? Uh, Yeah, I do say that in the book, don't I? Why do I think politicians? Well, fundamentally, I believe everybody should. But I think if if we if we agree that politicians are the so-called best of us representing our collective in in uh, in all the ways they do and should i think it's absolutely imperative that these people have a completely alternative perspective on life love and the universe uh, and that perspective can only really be attained in a couple of ways <clears throat> one would be transcendental meditation in a cave for 20 years and the other would be working with psychedelics. Why? Because psychedelic medicines enable us to deconstruct our ego. So 
obviously we've talked about our, our mindful approach to to deconstructing ego and, and our own daily work that that that, that we're putting into um, into play to observe uh, our own actions and words and thoughts and and do our best to, to shift that which is great right that's fantastic that we're all doing that um, but the medicines do it in a completely different way it, they as my shaman friend, one of my shaman friends always says, when you do the work with the ayahuasca, for example, you may not get what you want, but you'll always get what you need. Uh, which, and he always says with a cheeky smile, just as, just just before you drink the ayahuasca brew. The point being that <clears throat> actually unconscious, consciously we might, we might be aware of this, that, and the other aspect of our ego, but actually unconsciously and subconsciously unconsciously, there are, there are still lots of aspects of self uh egoic traits trauma and our response and our personality response to trauma that we actually have little idea of or uh, we, we're not entirely clear about it so plant medicines um are a way to like a laser cut key if you like to open doors that you might never be able to open uh, living a regular lifestyle uh, on planet Earth, um, and I'm 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 pleased to be talking about them with you because one of the things we must 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 do now is have significantly more sensible conversations about psychedelics. People have been programmed; they've been programmed by by propaganda for for decades, uh, and this propaganda, uh, regardless of 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 its its. The meaning behind this propaganda, um, we've been told that uh, psychedelics are drugs, in inverted commas, and drugs are bad, okay, as the dude in South Park says. Well, first and foremost, they're not drugs. They are actually medicines. Uh, and there are many reasons why we could, we could discuss why uh, they've been vilified and criminalized, but probably not practical in this conversation, I don't think. Besides, many, many people have talked about it. I talk about it in the book, so help yourselves <clears throat> to that information. The, the fundamental point is now, finally, this psychedelic renaissance is, is, is upon us, and it's, 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 it's gathering speed. And uh, America is a classic example where you've what, 12 or 13, maybe 15 cities now uh, that have decriminalized psychedelics. Um, and worldwide, there are all sorts of governments and medical authorities now uh, working in a different way in a decriminalized uh, space so, so that these medicines can be used in clinical trials. FYI. I think that's all nonsense anyway, as far as I'm concerned. The idea that you can criminalize or privatize nature is an absolute absurdity to me. Uh, and I do not need uh, a government or a medical board or health authority to tell me whether I whether I can work with natural plant medicines that the indigenous people have been working with for thousands of years. All that to say, we must work with these medicines responsibly. That's a, an absolute key. And I think part of this misunderstanding around psychedelics, and I, I think the reason why it's been so easy for governments and health authorities to vilify them is because some people go crazy with them because they're not working with these medicines properly. They're just they're 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 consuming them recreationally uh, or to get out of their heads, you know, using them the same way you would use uh, any other class A drug 
to distract yourself from the reality of things. But be under no illusion, folks. There is nothing addictive about psychedelic medicines. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking as a recovered addict and alcoholic. So I'm going to call authority on this one. What they do is reach deep into your subconscious unconscious, pull out these memories one by one, some immensely traumatic, and offer this incredible perspective that can only be provided by such a thing. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of an evangelist when it comes to flat medicine. So do, do tell me to, uh, to pipe down if you need me to. Well, I'm curious, uh, and then I'll kick it over to Luke. How many ayahuasca ceremonies have you been through and how many times have you consumed psilocybin in, uh, uh, yeah, that, that's my question. How many times have you gone through an ayahuasca ceremony and how many times have you consumed psilocybin in a quantity that creates hallucinations? Yeah, I, that's a good question. Ayahuasca, I think I've done around 15 ceremonies, something like that. Uh, I also sit in ceremony as a facilitator, uh, serving the uh, the medicine, the hape or hape, as some people call it. Uh, and in those ceremonies, I'll I'll only consume a little bit of the medicine just so I'm on the same vibration as, as people in the space. Um, psilocybin, countless countless journeys with psilocybin i've i've uh i consider myself a, a fairly well-traveled psychonaut when it comes to psilocybin uh, ayahuasca and also san pedro the cactus huachuma uh, which is um mescaline sorry my dog's going crazy because the <laughs> cleaners turned up um so i've done a lot of work with these medicines and all of it has been in uh in the right set the right setting and with the right guides it's a fundamental point to make that said having done quite a lot of work with it i i now do uh work with psilocybin alone have done for some time um all of it's been high dose in answer to your question nick so uh terence mckenna said anything less than five grams of mushrooms is tourism uh now terence mckenna was a bit of a, it was a pioneer, but I, I certainly wouldn't recommend that anybody just dies into using psilocybin with a, with a five gram dose uh, first off the bat for sure. But the point is, I've, I've, used, I've used all of these medicines to as part of my healing journey, not just because I felt like getting out of my head or, you know, whatever, whatever expression uh, people might use uh, in a negative context. And every time I've done one of those journeys, they've provided incredible insights into either my past, my present, my future. Get your head around that. I mean, you, you, you end up doing some pretty interesting metaphysical stuff with these medicines. Uh, I've healed lots and lots of past trauma. I, I put my work with ayahuasca specifically down to putting an, an end to any addictive tendencies. Uh, I don't call myself a recovering uh, addict or alcoholic. I rarely actually refer my, to myself as a recovered addict or alcoholic, other than in the context of conversations like this, because people need to understand who wrote the book. For example, I, I'm, I don't have that problem anymore. I don't have that addiction anymore. And that's all down to ayahuasca plant medicine. 
So incredible to hear. I I wanted to ask, and you may have kind of already answered this, but um, did you see like any diminishing returns the more the more trips you went on? Did you see any diminishing returns, or did did you still feel like you got everything out of it that you that you needed to every single time? Great question. Ninety nine percent of the time, I I always see something different, receive some new information. I mean, the thing about these medicines is <clears throat> they work on, on different levels. So on the one hand, you've got this phenomenal PS, uh, PTSD healing uh, aspect of it. And, and there are many, many studies written about this, incidentally, folks. And I, and I highlight a number of them in the, in the book. Uh, but there is so much, so much uh, information to be found out there to prove that these medicines are literally eradicating mental illness. Uh, but on the flip side, there is a whole other aspect of doing work with these medicines. You are, believe my words or not, you are getting out of your body. You are leaving this plane. You are leaving this plane of existence and moving into other planes where there is no need for a body, where entities exist in a different way, where where there's telepathy, where there's unity consciousness, um, where... <laughs> Uh, and then the crazy thing uh, uh, that's often reported by a lot of people working with ayahuasca in particular, and I can also confirm this, is you are greeted by entities who welcome you back or welcome you home. Perhaps that's a better way to explain it. And uh, that was a shocker for me the first time that happened because um, obviously I wasn't aware that I, I had another home other than planet earth uh, in the in the 20th slash 21st century so there are there are myriad aspects to working with with plant medicines and ultimately once you've done the the deep work the healing work which i've done then you're then you're free to 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 do the the more psychonautical flexing for want of a better word but every time you work with those medicines, there's neurogenesis to this as well as science behind the neurogenesis um, of psilocybin, for example. So you're improving your body and mind when you work with these medicines uh, anyway, but also you, you bring it back. And this is a key point to make about working with psychedelics is integration. Uh, and I thoroughly recommend people check it out as a whole other subject because uh, the idea is not to spend every weekend in the astral uh, you know, speaking to some entities about fixing your your emotional or physical injuries, um, and then and then you're back to it, and you're back to it, and you're back to it. That's not the point. The point is to to do the medicine ceremony, to pick up a long list of lessons, uh, and then to to work with it, to meditate through it, to sit with it. You maybe you work with a guide, an integration guide, or a therapist. Uh, there are psychedelic assisted therapists you can you can work with so that you can integrate these lessons back into real life. Because this is the point. It's not about escapism. Right? And I don't advocate the use of psychedelics to escape. Far from it. My use of psychedelics and, and, and everyone in, the, in, the, in a huge medicine community of which I'm now a member, and I, and I mean a global community, incidentally. I've got people all over the world now with whom I've sat in ceremonies. They all work with these medicines so that they can enjoy a significantly more improved human experience. 
So for people who are interested in experiencing one of these psychedelic journeys, uh, where do they go? What do they do? How do they access it? I mean, it seems like Bali is a center for exploration. Uh, Boston, Massachusetts doesn't seem to be, at least not on the surface level. So what's the next step for somebody that's interested in learning more about these compounds? Well, I, Bali, Bali actually, they criminalize all psychedelics here. So, uh, oh. yeah, I mean, the island is, uh, is, is certainly an island for exploration. Where, and um, and they, they, it just so happens that some of the best psilocybin mushrooms on the planet grow in the fields here. They are in abundance. Um, I certainly couldn't confirm or deny whether I, I'm involved in any plant medicine work in Bali. Um, but uh, get yourselves down to Peru. Uh, that's my 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 best piece of advice. Get to the Sacred Valley, uh, or uh, down to Brazil. And I have some friends in the Noquequin tribe, otherwise known as the Catuquina tribe, in the Amazon basin in Brazil. I've had the great honor of of uh, sh sharing the medicine with with a whole village, fifty five people, from grandparents down to children. Uh, and doing a medicine journey with those people. <clears throat> so, but in the Sacred Valley in Peru, you can work with the Shipibo or the Quechua uh, shaman. You can do ayahuasca. You can work with the uh, the San Pedro cactus. And you can do it in in places and spaces where it's responsibly done. That's the fundamental point. And that, I, of course, as things roll out across the world, these these medicines are going to be decriminalized. But don't get too excited. Ultimately, this is all paving the way for big pharma to to essentially synthesize these medicines and and, and start selling them uh, at a premium. And I, 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 I don't get me wrong. I love that. I I want these medicines to be available to everyone because I've seen firsthand, and not just my own personal experience, but many, many, many other people with whom I've sat in ceremony. I've seen the truly transformative effects that these medicines have on on broken psyches um and i believe the world deserves access to them funnily enough that's probably why they just grow everywhere isn't it isn't that a strange idea that they're just already naturally distributed around the planet yet they are yet we 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 are not allowed to to work with them totally up to i'm not suggesting i'm not suggesting a, a whole scale revolution here but what i am saying is just use some exercise some common sense here, you know um these medicines are available everywhere so you you can get hold of them but make sure that you have the right mindset you work with them in the right setting and you have the right guide that's my that, like the three fundamental rules to working with these medicines and i think you you guys should join me in the sacred valley and we should uh, go and do an ayahuasca ceremony together I'm there. Let's explore. Let's explore my hesitancy uh, real quick. So I became interested in psychedelics back in 2016, 17. And my first experience was a plus five gram psilocybin trip that had positive, mostly positive aspects, some negative aspects, and uh, as well as microdosing psilocybin uh, for periods of up to a couple of months. And I was always interested in an ayahuasca ceremony until 
I heard somebody interviewed on the Tim Ferriss show say that his first experience was amazing and he feel like he healed a lot of the trauma that that he was that he had in his subconscious and then his second experience undid all of that and reintroduced him to the trauma and it became more prevalent in his life and he used the metaphor don't get an ACL surgery if your ACL isn't torn and so I sit in this space <laughs> because of all of these books and the meditation and the mindfulness and all of it. I sit in this space uh, of happiness all the time. I don't experience anxiety very often and I don't experience any form of depression. I'm the happiest guy I know. And so I just wonder if I go through an ayahuasca experience with you in the sacred Valley, what's going to happen if things get undone and I start to experience what, everybody else is trying to get away from? Mm, well, that's a great question. I, I suppose, going back to the ACL observation, <clears throat> quite right. If there is no trauma to heal, then there's a, there's a big question over whether or not you even need to work with those medicines. Although I was interested to hear that the second time, then a lot of trauma came up, which sounds to me, then there was, sounds to me like there perhaps was a, a broken L, uh, ACL um, that he just managed to forget all about, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not familiar with the story. The point is with these medicines, you, you're really working with these medicines for what I think for one of two reasons, one for the healing, the emotional, the physical, um, that, that, that whole aspect of fixing, um, uh, mind and body, uh, and, and, and regaining that, the, the love for that relationship. But then two is more of a spiritual exploration. It is, it's, you, you cannot possibly do uh, serious work with ayahuasca without really having to, to ask some massive questions about, about what is reality and, and about how real this all is versus um, the, the myriad experiences you will have and places, for want of a better word, you will, you will visit when you do these medicines. So there's the, the whole spiritual aspect is a, is a, is a different facet altogether, isn't it? And the, so the, excuse me, the question then remains, am I happy? Um, and I'm not questioning your happiness, by the way, Nick, I, 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 I feel your vibe for sure. And I'm in the same space, but obviously I, I do a lot of work with these medicines as well. But so it, it's a, it's a question of, am I happy with my existence in the matrix? Um, playing the game as I do and knowing that it's uh knowing that it's a system of control. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I can, I can make those moves as well or, uh, but what's my relationship with spirit? What's my relationship with anything that's not form when I say form, you know, I mean matter um, because there's a whole other question, isn't there? A whole other conversation to have, isn't there? Not not teeing myself up for a third podcast here, but there's a whole other conversation to have here, and that is uh, about death, about life after death, uh, about our understanding of that. Uh, and actually, if we embody the idea that there is life after death, reincarnation, for example, as a concept, which I discuss in the book, what does that do to my approach to life? Because there's no there's no two ways about it. Once you once you develop a, a some people call it a faith structure or a belief structure. I I don't think it's either of those things. I think it's is for me it's intrinsic knowledge because of the places that I've been with these medicines. Um, 
you absolutely change your perspective of of being alive uh, and it's it's very hard to explain mm. um but it's certainly i certainly put my work with psychedelics down to my intrinsic happiness you know this idea somebody obviously since i've written this book people are asking me to define happiness i'm <laughs> saying well i've written you know, a 354 book uh, page book you can you can check that out but i think happiness is is an equanimity it's a it's a state of mind body and spirit uh it's about achieving a balance between all three and also understanding that they are subject to impermanence as much as my understanding of the concept of happiness that is to say that i can't always be happy it's impossible because it's happiness is impermanent as everything else but in knowing that and truly understanding impermanence on a on a metaphysical level then i actually can still be happy because i fully appreciate the impermanence of everything and I certainly got lessons about this working with psychedelics. Now, of course, a Buddhist monk would say to you, yeah, I get, I get that. I've got those lessons doing meditation and being a Buddhist monk. And that's absolutely spot on. Of course, there is no right or wrong way to do this, is there? Um, so ultimately, you could you could achieve the same levels of enlightenment and awareness through Qigong, yoga meditation you wouldn't need to wouldn't need to work with psychedelics although uh after we finish the conversation do a bit of research on on what buddhist monks say when they've worked with psychedelics because that's uh that's interesting <laughs> yeah well i'm i'm picking up what you're putting down and like i've expressed i've always been interested uh in further exploration so yeah we'll have to continue that conversation and CBC. yeah med meditation yeah it's it's kind of like you know, the spectrum that I see is maybe meditation happens minute by minute, hour by hour, sensory deprivation, float tank meditation maybe happens in 10 hour increments, 20 hour increments in terms of like, it's an accelerated pace and psychedelics mm. might cut a thousand hours off uh, yeah. of practice. So that's cool. Luke, I know this is a huge subject for you as well. And, and maybe we only have like 15 minutes left. So I want to make sure that you could talk too. Yeah, that's all right. We can we can wrap it up whenever. Like I, I've just been um I've just been really enjoying this this whole conversation. I think too, Nick, there's something there's something there about I was thinking about attachment to travel and success, you know, like the standard success that that you want to achieve and that I want to achieve. Um, which I think is driven a little bit by money. Uh so there's something there too. Maybe that eventually we can dig a little bit deeper on, but um yeah. Yeah, I think it, we we've all to evaluate our relationship with money. Obviously mm -hmm. it's it's a, it's 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 a component of the system that, in which we exist so we you know we can't do without it so to speak. But uh but I I see money as stored energy and mm -hmm. um uh, yeah, I'm not going to get into the whole house of cards about fiat currency and uh you know and versus crypto versus the illusion of money. <clears throat> um because that's a whole other podcast too. But uh, but yeah, we need money. The the question is how much time, attention, and energy do we want to put into to 
uh, accruing it? And what will we do with it after that? I, I, I think the what's interesting now, and you talked about Tim Ferriss earlier on, what's happening now worldwide is quite fascinating because, of course, employers all over the world have finally uh, realized that they can't keep people tethered to desks Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, you know, we weren't built and we weren't designed to, to do that. And we, obviously, we've been shackled for, for decades uh, rather successfully, well, hundreds of years, really, rather su successfully by the, this system. But now we're, we're breaking out and we're able to say, actually, I don't want to work in the office. I'm, go I'm going to go. Actually, I don't even want to work in this country. still want to work for you, but I want to work uh, on the other side of the world. Um, so I, I commit to, to this job description and achieving these goals on a weekly basis. Frankly, what time I do it and what day I do it, it's got broadly fuck all to do with you. Um, and I and I think that's a wonderful that's a wonderful shift in dynamic. And I, I actually love the fact that many employers are saying, "Yeah, <laughs> boom!" I love what you just said there, buddy. Yeah, I'll catch up with you on Friday to see what you've been up to. So things are a changing in a, in a whole other way. And and as uh, as the the studies are already showing, people's uh, fascination with money is waning as a result of that. And and people are and now uh, looking at things like minimalism in a new way because they're saying hang on a minute if i'm a, if i want to have 3 days a week where i i don't know do yoga and hike up mountains then what do i need how much what's the the minimum amount of money that i need to get in to have that lifestyle and 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 then by that rationale what am i consuming on a regular basis that's just burning through cash i mean and let's talk about the basics you know beer alcohol uh, sorry beer cigarettes um one too many uh netflix type subscriptions you know the the payments on the car the payments on the house for some people uh, layaway payments on furniture etc and yet the minute the minute you start to rack these things up you think geez hang on a minute i'm, I'm actually i'm actually going from paycheck to paycheck and just the money comes in and then it goes out to pay all to pay for all this stuff that isn't mine. <laughs> it's absolutely insane, really, when you think about it in those terms. So an easy way to, to help our mental health, like literally improve our mental health overnight is to do an audit of that stuff and go, do I need the cigarettes? No, I don't. Yeah, I do need them. No, you don't. Don't be ridiculous. Have a word with yourself no more cigarettes do i need that beer yeah i like the beer buzz no you don't actually need beer i appreciate that you like beer but how much beer are you consuming by the way i'm not being anti-alcohol here I'm, I'm a i'm a pretty chilled out recovered alcoholic but ultimately when you start to calculate how much money you literally piss away down a drain on a weekly basis after consuming alcohol it is absolutely mind-blowing so yeah get the ledge <laughs> sorry go on Oh, I was going to say, I call that cutting unhealthy spending. You're cutting unnecessary spending, but it's on things that make you unhealthy. So cigarettes and alcohol are great examples. Fast food, bad food. Those are other great examples. Memberships right. to Netflix that keep you in the chair longer. And I mean, that's another example of unhealthy spending. So you're spending money to be less healthy. It's kind of a funny way to look at it. Isn't it? You're spending money on self-harm. Yeah. That's, wow. Yeah, it's insane. true. And the byproduct of all of that spending money on self-harm is more self-harm because you're depressed because you don't have choices. 
So actually, we can all live with a lot less, and this, this is why the minimalists are uh, and minimalism as a concept is is so, so profound, and probably deserve more space in the book, in reality. But um, yeah, so that's money and our relationship with it, and 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 our relationship with money and material things is a, a great source of mental illness, hugely so. And I talk about the stats in the book, the depression um figures related to this stuff but it is it's putting us in graves early so i i, I wholly uh invite people to just evaluate that um wholesale and that's just to round up because i'm conscious we've we've um we've witted on the whole point of this book is to say there is no one aspect that you can focus on if you want to achieve le- everlasting happiness all of these things, everything that we do, everything around us that plugs us into this system in which we live affects our happiness. So we've got to we've got to we've got to audit the whole shebang. Um, and actually, the things we're talking about, the, the latter side of this podcast, you know, money, consumption, so on and so forth. They're the basics. That's, that's the that's kind of the maybe the scary thing because for a lot of these for a lot of people listening they're not basic it's oh you hang on you're asking me to to change the way i consume you're asking me to, to change what i'm spending my money on and i fully appreciate that i fully appreciate wherever you are is wherever you are and you and you've got to just tackle it wherever you are um but this is the basic stuff this is the this is the uh, the matter related stuff once you get that out of the way then you then you you're diving in to do the deep work do the the self-realization learn how to forgive learn how to love yourself learn how to connect with people and then get that daily practice that anatomy of happy that i'm talking about with awareness acceptance um gratitude and presence that's that's what you bring into your daily practice but you have to have done all of that other shitty stuff that we just spent a couple of hours talking about <laughs> <laughs> to have yeah. smiles like Nick and I and and Luke. <laughs> That's right, man. Well, this has been this has been an awesome conversation, and just to to a little bit to wrap it up. I a big theme for myself and my journey has been detachment, and it's it's like detachment from things, detachment from money, detachment. When a really big one is detachment from other people's opinions of me and other people's thoughts of me, which has been the most difficult part of my journey, I'd say. Um, and we're all on that journey, right? We're all on this, this journey. And I just appreciate your, your part that you're playing in the world, Martin. It's been awesome, awesome talking to you, just such a joy. And like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, and I'll, I'll, I'll say at the end of this podcast too, the book is, is amazing and I haven't finished it yet, but I'm going to finish it tonight. I only have a few more chapters left. And, um, Man, if you're in a stuck place or in a weird place in your life, like this book is a great place to start to mm. um, start realizing <laughs> the the craziness of the matrix of what you're stuck in. Um, so <laughs> I appreciate you putting putting the work in, Martin, for yourself and then also for writing this book for us, uh, because it's going to help a lot of people and change a lot of people's lives for sure. You've uh, You've touched me there. Luke, because that's fundamentally why I wrote it, and we talked about purpose. Ultimately, I I, I reevaluated my purpose along this journey over the last few years, and realized I want to spend the the second half of my life in service to others. And when I 
started writing this book as worthy as it might sound I, I said if this book helps one person then it was worth writing so uh you're the second you're the third person who said that to me in two days <laughs> so there you go I, up. I just need a million people to like it and then uh, perhaps i can change my career <laughs> well martin we will see you in peru for episode number three amazing and, uh can't wait for the next book there we oh, go. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for having me and thanks for your time, attention, energy and your love. Uh, love what you're doing and um, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Book Thinkers, Life-Changing Books. It would mean the world to us if you could write a review and share this episode with a few of your friends. I mean, these books truly have the power to change people's lives. And by reviewing or sharing our podcast, you're helping us make an impact. If you have any recommendations for future guests or any constructive feedback for us on how we can improve our show, please feel free to submit a form on our website, www.bookthinkers.com, or send us a direct message on Instagram at bookthinkers. With that, I am signing off and I hope you have a wonderful day. Don't forget, go read something.